Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. You might say that San Francisco is going through an existential crisis. Like other major cities across the U.S., it's facing big issues. Property crime, homelessness, drug overdoses, housing affordability, all while trying to prove it's still a center of innovation and progressive solutions. It's not going well. Problems persist, city officials are unpopular, and all of that leads to quite a bit of finger-pointing especially at City Hall. On one side is Mayor Lennon Breed. On the other, progressives on the city's board of supervisors. City Hall does sometimes work together and agree on common goals, but we often see that infighting take place in public forums. Earlier this month, Breed called out the board at a press conference as she appealed for key public safety initiatives, including additional money for the police and increased prosecution of open-air drug dealing. There are four things that I am here to push for. And I want the members of the Board of Supervisors who sadly are saying no to these things, who sadly are being obstructionists, who sadly won't even calendar the items to give it a chance to be heard in the public, that we need this. We need you to be better than that. The board did calendar the items. Two weeks later, it approved her request for $25 million in police overtime funding. But in many of these back and forths, critics, including progressive supervisors, have blamed Breed for not adequately managing the resources to address the city's issues. Today on Fifth Emission, Chronicle reporter Mallory Mensch is here to explain Who actually has more power to fix San Francisco, the mayor or the board of supervisors? And just where are the limits of their leadership? With the 2024 election around the corner, the power dynamics at City Hall feel essential to understand. Mallory Mensch, thanks for being here to help us do that. Thanks for having me. Mallory, tensions inside San Francisco City Hall are often about the central question, who has the power to fix the city? But before we get into that, Give us a little civics lesson here. A lot of us need the reminder. What exactly is the role of the mayor? Well, the mayor essentially is the chief executive of the city. So she oversees everything administratively, and that includes more than 36,000 employees and more than 60 departments and their chiefs. So, you know, for instance, the police chief, the head of the police department, she's basically his boss. Her office also creates the budget, which this fiscal year is $14 billion. Mm-hmm. And supervisors do have to approve that and they can provide a check or balance, but they don't have as much power over it because they can't add to it. And then throughout the year, Breed can actually decide to spend the money however she wants. And in contrast, what kind of power does the Board of Supervisors have in San Francisco? 
The supervisors are the legislative body, so they create laws, which of course has a lot of power and that can guide city policies and the performance of the different city departments. And they can also use their influence to get results on some issues, especially locally in their districts. But they are a check and balance for the mayor. So they, like I mentioned, they have to approve the budget. And if the mayor wants to change any laws, she has to go through them largely. Breed's been able to really flex her political power in recent years, perhaps even more so than her predecessors. How has she demonstrated that? Well, Breed has done this in in a few different ways over the years. Obviously, we had the pandemic, so she declared local emergencies with her health department. And when she declares emergencies, she can use a lot of her power unilaterally. She also did that in the Tenderloin for a couple months from 2021 to 2022 to address drug dealing. She also has a unique power, which is somewhat even more powerful than other mayors in other cities, and that's that she can appoint people to fill vacancies for elected officials. And she has done this way more than a lot of past mayors over the past couple of years because, of course, we've seen the recalls and the special elections, which have allowed her to appoint one of the supervisors and the district attorney, for example. And both of those people went on to win elections. So now mm-hmm. she has some of her allies in those important positions. A lot of power here, but it doesn't go unchecked. Is that right? Absolutely. So just because she has political allies doesn't mean that she can necessarily get everything done or that she can cut through a lot of city bureaucracy, a lot of which is determined by law, which is not entirely within her control. And she's also held accountable, of course, by the Board of Supervisors and also by commissions who oversee departments. Uh, So for instance, the Planning Commission or the Police Commission has a fair amount of power in overseeing the police department. So, Mallory, the mayor has faced a lot of criticism for the state of the city right now, so many issues that residents are concerned about. And a recent Chronicle poll found that her popularity has plummeted. Only about a quarter of San Franciscans believe she's improved the city during her time in office. How has she responded to her critics? Well, I will add that the supervisors are also very unpopular, even more so than the mayor. So they're all facing a lot of criticism for the state of the city. Most people feel like things have gone worse over the past couple of years. And the mayor responds to this in a few ways. So when I wrote the story about the poll results, she sometimes faces things head on. So she doesn't always shirk responsibility. She expresses frustration and empathy with residents saying, I know, I think all these things need to be fixed as well. And here's what I'm doing to fix them. But when it comes to results, then maybe she'll point to city bureaucracy that's standing in her way. She recently was at her permit center for businesses on Thursday, and she mentioned, you know, all the boards in the past, they've made laws that have made this more complicated, and here's how we're cutting through red tape. Mm -hmm. And also increasingly so, she and her allies are, you know, pointing to the board of supervisors, especially progressives that she doesn't always agree with, to claim that they're blocking her solutions to some of the problems. So recently she accused the board of being obstructionist in regards to police funding. The board of supervisors approved the funding in the end, so they didn't block it. Let's dive a little bit more deeply into one of the most contentious debates about Breed's leadership, policing and public safety. In the past, as you mentioned, the mayor's been able to declare emergencies in neighborhoods like the Tenderloin in order to marshal resources. But things like open air, drug use, and property crimes persist. What exactly are the limits of her chief executive power on these issues? So while she does 
basically control the police department and is the police chief's boss. And of course, they have a huge influence over public safety. There are some parts of the criminal justice system that are not under her direct control. That includes judges who will make determinations about whether defendants should stay in jail before their trial. Uh, We also have the public defender and the district attorney who are elected positions, so they don't report directly to her. Of course, she did appoint this district attorney originally, and then uh, Brooke Jenkins was elected. So she has a close ally there. But another issue that the police are facing are resource constraints. So there's been a lot of conversation that they're having trouble recruiting and retaining officers so they don't have as many as they have budgeted for. And of course, uh, there are also laws that need to be followed and civil rights considerations that need to be taken into account. So you can't just necessarily say, go arrest everyone who looks like a drug dealer or you think looks like a drug dealer. You obviously still have to to follow the laws there. Another constraint on our power is the police commission, which um, among the commissions in the city is one of the most powerful. They can also fire the chief as the mayor can do, and the mayor can't just pluck whomever she wants to be the chief. She has to work off a list that the commission gives her. They do have some power and uh, don't always align with the mayor. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. If you have a comment or there's a story you think we should cover, let us know. You can email us at fifth, that's F-I-F-T-H, at sfchronicle.com, or leave us a voicemail at 415-777-6156. Now, Mallory, let's turn our attention to another big power struggle in San Francisco, which is fixing homelessness. Here, Breed also oversees the homeless department, just like she oversees the police department. But city supervisors are able to flex their power on this issue, too. Who has more power here? I would say that Breed does have more power because she ultimately does run the homelessness department, which we mentioned. And up until this year, there was actually no commission overseeing the department until voters approved one last year. And Breed didn't support that, actually, because she thought it would be unnecessarily bureaucratic. So it's really up to her department to be mainly responsible for showing results in this area. She also and the rest of the city also depends on state and federal funding and support to address this huge, complex problem. Supervisors, like you mentioned, they do have some power. They approve the budget. They approve funding for certain projects and give feedback, especially if they're in their districts. And they can create laws, as we've mentioned, that can direct departments to do something or approach the problem in a certain way. So recently, one supervisor made a law to mandate that San Francisco create enough shelter for everyone. And so Breed's department under that law had to come back and report what it would take to create all that shelter and housing, which they said $1 billion. So Hmm. now maybe it's in Breed's department of what they're going to do about that. And what about the power dynamic when it comes to housing development? Breed and her allies have pushed for fewer restrictions on housing production, while progressive opponents have prioritized affordable housing projects and community input. What's going on on that issue? So in that respect, supervisors do have a fair amount of power, I would say more power, because legislation does control a lot of housing development, such as zoning laws, or even parts of the process of how housing gets approved and built in the city. That being said, everyone agrees that the city departments are very slow and sometimes disjointed and dysfunctional in trying to get that done, and that's under Breed's oversight. So she recently has ordered her departments to speed up approvals for 
building and planning permits so that they can approve housing faster and work together so that they can streamline things. But one catch to that is that some of those processes are controlled by legislation. They're not just administrative. So the prime example is last year, Breed tried for the third time to get supervisors to approve a ballot measure to streamline certain housing projects, but they disagreed. They didn't want to bring it up to the voters in November. And so she said, forget it. I'm going to go and with my allies gather signatures to still put this on the ballot. She did, but supervisors said, we want to do our own thing. They put another measure on the ballot, which was very similar and pretty confusing. And both of them failed in the end. Right. You're referring to the very confusing propositions D and E. We've talked about them before on the show last fall. So Oftentimes, these political battles end up in a stalemate, but there are also a lot of factors that are beyond local government control. What are they? So there's a few things. Of course, we have the pandemic, which was out of everyone's control, and that influenced a lot of other things. So that includes crime trends and the state of downtown San Francisco, because office buildings are now empty and that affects the uh, economy. No matter how much Breed or the supervisors try to speed up the approval processes for housing, there's a lot of projects that have been approved, but they're not getting built because the developers can't finance them Mm -hmm. um, because of the market right now. So that's something that the city can try to address in different ways. Maybe they can try to incentivize development or give tax breaks for businesses to come to offices. But there's a lot of things that are still uh, way out of the city's control like interest rates. Yeah. And those are good reminders for San Francisco voters, of course, because the 2024 election is right around the corner. And Breed already has a possible challenger from the board in next year's race. That's Supervisor Asha Safai. What do you think will be critical for Breed in her messaging to residents as she tries to hold on to her seat and explain why some problems are really hard to fix? I think she is already doing that and she'll probably keep doing that. So trying to explain to people, like you said, why it's so complicated. What is the city bureaucracy that's out of her control and what is she doing to try to fix it? I'm sure that she will probably keep deflecting some things as well or finger pointing at the board if she thinks that they're standing in her way. And I think, of course, she really needs to show results. So paint a vision of the city that's positive or hopeful, something she's working towards, and also deliver on that. So whether it's less homelessness or less drug dealing or more housing being built, she'll need to point to some of those concrete things in time for the election next year. Well, Mallory, thank you so much. I appreciate the insight. Thank you. Mallory Mensch covers San Francisco City Hall for The Chronicle. Find her story, Who Has the Power to Fix SF's Biggest Problems and What's Holding Them Back? It's online at sfchronicle.com and on The Chronicle app. Thank you to King Kaufman for editing this episode and to you for listening. <laughs> 